That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of the warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. When you hear that sound, it means you are in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi, and I produce and host this podcast because I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. I know that with 104 nuclear reactors all over the U.S., plus radioactive sites and reactors around the world, whether you can hear these sirens or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Today is Tuesday, January 17, 2012, day 316, 316 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th of 2011, and here is the latest nuclear news. Uh, again, we have the TEPCO president in Japan mentioning the accident at Fukushima Daini, not just Daiichi. Uh, this is the accident that we weren't paying attention to because uh, Daiichi, Daini was so, uh, was so dramatic with the four nuclear reactors. Um, but the president was quoted, uh, TEPCO was president, is stating, the accidents at Fukushima 1 and 2 nuclear power stations, this was in an interview on January 11th. It was not a mistake. Uh, this is a public admission that there was an accident in Daini, which we've had confirmation on now, uh, because as of uh, January 11th, the Nuclear Industrial and Safety Agency in Japan to told TEPCO to prepare a report by the end of January on how to repair equipment at its Fukushima Daini nuclear power plant. So attention is shifting now to the uh, to the uh, younger sibling of the horror that took place uh, at, at Fukushima Daiichi. Now, the Daini nuclear power plant was not so fatally damaged as nearby Fukushima Daiichi. And in this past December, the government of Japan lifted its declaration of a state of emergency at Fukushima Daini. Um, I didn't know there was a state of emergency there, and it's likely that you didn't either. Uh, facilities at the plant, including the emergency power generator, the cooling system for spent nuclear fuel pools, has been damaged, according to the agency, and uh, repairs are going to be needed. They're looking for the plant. Meanwhile, at Fukushima Daiichi, there have been ongoing concerns and speculation about Unit 4's spent fuel pool since the New Year's Day earthquake. There were radiation spikes on January 2nd, and Unit 3 leaked a considerable amount of radiation out the intake canal. TEPCO has since been inspecting radiation levels all over Unit 3. They have also been continuing to look for the leak problem at Unit 4's spent fuel pool, even after they told the public it was, quote-unquote, an isolated incident, end quote, with the skimmer tank overflowing into the reactor well. Uh, just a single point here, there's no such thing as an isolated accident at Fukushima. Uh, it's too late for that. It's all interconnected. Um, but it's fairly obvious that the New Year's Day earthquake seems to have done more damage than has been admitted by TEPCO. Nothing new there. Uh, follow up on a story from last week. The worker at the uh, nuclear power plant who collapsed has died. Uh, he died the day after we gave that report. Moving to the United States, there's a very upsetting report from the safety manager at uh, the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State. Uh, according to Donna Bush, who's the manager for environmental and nuclear safety at Hanford, what a thankless task that is, uh, waste in underground tanks at Hanford may have much more plutonium in them than originally thought. 
Now, uh, Donna Bush, uh, who is the manager for environmental and nuclear safety, says, uh, quote, I'm where the nuclear safety buck stops, which is not a great job to have. Uh, she reports that the tanks near the Columbia River are in danger of leaking more radioactive sludge into the ground, or worse, one could rupture. Hanford engineers used to think they had a total of 10 kilograms of plutonium in the tanks, but they now believe they've got between 30 and 130 kilograms of plutonium. By way of comparison, the nuclear bomb at Nagasaki had about 6 kilograms of plutonium. So this is at minimum five times Nagasaki, if not way beyond that. This new information means that criticality could be a probability at the plant. Also, the radioactive sludge can create hydrogen gas, and if that builds up in a closed space, it can blow up. At least one of the explosions at Fukushima was a hydrogen explosion. Bush raised her concerns to her supervisors and to their supervisors. She even testified at a major two-day hearing of the National Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board in 2010. During her testimony to the board, she gave different answers than top-level officials with the Department of Energy and contractors Bechtel National and URS. Afterwards, she says her managers asked her to change her answers, to which Bush, to her everlasting credit, replied, no. Uh, this is um, related to the story we had two weeks ago coming from a whistleblower, uh, James Chambers, from uh, San Onofre, talking about the way his plant managers refused to pay attention to safety issues, um, putting us all at risk. Uh, there was a, there were hearings on the East Coast about the Indian Point nuclear reactors, uh, which are very close to Manhattan. They're about 25 to 30 miles away from that. Uh, the hearings were conducted on January 10th against a backdrop of a recent pump failure at the plant that caused one of its reactors to be shut down on uh, Tuesday, January 10th. Uh, I, uh, so the hearings took place on the 12th. Uh, many of the activists present at the hearings brought signs and but buttons referencing Fukushima, and uh, the Japanese television crew from a uh, television crew from TV Asahi was on hand to film the hearings. Uh, midway into these hearings, there was a mic check courtesy Occupy Wall Street's Environmental Working Group. Uh, a uh, statement was read. The good news here is that this is uh, one of the first times, if not the first time that I know, that Occupy Wall Street has stepped forward to participate in the nuclear discussion. Considering the size of uh, the group, and uh, the potential outreach that it has, this is very good news for those of us who are in the nuclear, the anti-nuclear movement. Moving on to France, uh, which has been very pro-nuclear, the first cracks in their pro-nuclear stance are starting to show up uh, because uh, on Tuesday, January 4th, France's independent watchdog agency delivered a government-commissioned audit of the nation's 58 nuclear power plants and called for significant safety upgrades. Uh, this is from the Nuclear Safety Authority, uh, which is uh, referred to as the ASN in French. Um, they asked for beefed-up security recommendations involving what seemed like pretty basic stuff, ensuring sufficient backup power capabilities, creating bunkerized con crisis control centers at the plants, assuring necessary cooling capabilities even in emergencies to prevent a Fukushima-style meltdown, uh, 
tightening all means of preventing or mitigating potential damages from earthquakes, floods, or fires, and a centralized rapid reaction force trained to intervene in nuclear emergencies. They asked for all of these to be in place and operational by the end of 2014. According to ASN estimates, investment required to fulfill its safety recommendations will cost over $13 billion, the final cost of which will be passed all the way down to the French consumer's monthly electric bill, a fact that no one was trying to hide. If so, the French will have a very loud wake-up call that nuclear energy is not the cheap energy date the French have been so hot for for all these years. In a related story in France, uh, childhood leukemia rates have been discovered to be twice as high in children living close to French nuclear power plants as in those living elsewhere around the country. This is according to a study by the French Health and Nuclear Safety uh, uh experts, and it will be published soon in the International Journal of Cancer. The study did fall short of establishing a causal link between the higher incidence of leukemia, a type of blood cancer, and living near nuclear power plants, but it did take a strong step in that direction. Uh, the study was conducted by the French research, health research body, INSERM, I-N-S-E-R-M, and it found that between 2002 and 2007, 14 children under the age of 15, living within 15 kilometers of France's 19 nuclear power plants, have been diagnosed with leukemia. This is double the rate in the rest of the country. We're going to take a little break from the news right now and talk about uh, a beautiful set of activism that is coming up. And we'll do that by talking with Louise Dunlap, who is an activist writing teacher, she travels the country helping citizen groups and social justice-minded scholars make their voices heard. What a great goal. Her book, Undoing the Silence, Six Tools for Social Change Writing, was published in 2007 by New Village Press. She's a longtime advocate for peace and justice who got her start in the free speech movement of the 1960s, has taught in universities including MIT, and she now offers workshops for citizen activists in labor, women's, peace, racial, racial justice, and environmental movements, which keeps you very busy. Louise, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Are you there, Louise? After such a build-up, uh, she was on the call. Louise, are you still there? If you've muted yourself, please hit star six. Okay, Louise, when you get back on the call, would you please let me know, and we will go through to you immediately. Um, in the meantime, moving on with the nuclear news, here's an overview of what's happening with radiation around the world. There are a lot of stories. I will summarize them here. In the United States, Cesium levels in San Francisco area milk are now higher than they were six months ago. Um, by integrating all of the milk data, the total effective dose equivalent, if you've been drinking organic milk from the San Francisco area, uh, it's at a rate of one gallon a week, which is pretty high for most of us, but still kids could go through that, would be nearly one microsievert. Now, this study uh, related the effective total dose as the equivalent of only 12 minutes on an airplane flight or 3.7 hours of an average person's background exposure from natural sources of radiation. Uh, that's a false comparison because an airplane flight or background radiation is external. 
when you drink milk and take radiation into your body, it's internal radiation. The radioactive material can lodge in your body, and then it emits constantly right there directly on your tissues. So it's not like comparing apples and oranges. It's like comparing apples and a neutron bomb. Um, I'm going to check again. Louise, have you come on the call? Louise, are you there? Okay, I'm hoping that you're going to come back. Here's about radiation and fish coming out of Canada. Uh, radioactive cesium has consistently been found in 60 to 80% of Japanese fishing catches each month as tested by Japanese Japan's fisheries. And much of this fish uh, has been exported to Canada. Now, uh, in November, 65% of the catches tested positive for cesium. And uh, in November, 18% of cod exceeded even the new radiation ceiling for food to be implemented in Japan in April. This is a much lower level of radiation than they are accepting at this point. So even at the lower levels, um, they have been exceeded. Cesium was especially prevalent in certain of the species. In 73% of the mackerel tested, 91% of halibut, 92% of sardines, 93% of tuna and eel, 94% of cod and anchovies, and in 100% of carp, seaweed, shark, and monkfish. Right now, Japan is the only country that appears to be systematically testing fish for radiation and publicly reporting the results, though the European Union recently um, supported its members in doing their own testing of fish that is sourced from the Pacific. In Finland, they have detected cesium from Fukushima, cesium-134 and 137 in the lichens, meaning the moss, and fungi, as well as in elk and reindeer meat. Uh, radioactivity has not been detected in drinking water, milk, or food for sale as of yet. In Russia, not food, but the Russian police have confiscated dozens of car parts imported from Japan after they were found to be tainted by radiation. Uh, in December, a consignment of radioactive tires were, uh, that were shipped from Japan were seized in Vladivostok. In Japan, there have been reports of radioactive uh, crickets and radioactive locusts, both of which are considered food sources in Japan. Um, at very high levels, in 500 crickets, which is the equivalent of one kilogram, I can't imagine going to a store and buying them, but then I'm not Japanese, I'm not used to eating such things. Anyway, in 500 crickets, one kilogram, there were 4,000 becquerels of radioactive cesium. Uh, again, there was also cesium found in locusts. The intensity of the radiation is considered to be bioconcentration at work because the insect species uh, will reproduce much more quickly than, of course, we do. They're down on the ground. They're eating the stuff directly. So that's not good. And uh, cesium fallout at Fukushima has spiked again at the highest level since the day after the New Year's quake. Cesium-134 is up by a factor of 6, and cesium-137 is up by a factor of 5. Uh, the suspicion is that this radiation was released after the earthquake shook the buildings uh, at Fukushima, and uh, there has been no uh, no 
affirmation of this coming from the government. So I'm going to try again. Louise, are you there? I'm so disappointed because we've been planning for this and putting this together, and uh, I have no idea uh, where she is. Uh, we will keep trying to get her on the call. Sending her another email right now, even as we speak. And moving on, this is a week that has had an enormous amount of nuclear news in it. Here's the numbnuts of the week. We haven't had a numbnuts yet in uh, 2012. This is the first one. And that is 10 elementary schools in Edogawaku, uh, which is in, uh, it, it, which is near Tokyo, are sending kids, children, to ski in Fukushima Prefecture. Uh, according to a local representative uh, who has been asking the Board of Education again and again to consider what is called winter school in Fukushima Prefecture for the elementary school children, uh, the response has been, quote, if we cancel, that will fan baseless rumors. I don't know why they consider these baseless, but the principal of one of the schools that's sending the children says, it is the decision by the Tokyo Metropolitan Government and the Edogawa Municipal Government that it is safe, so I will abide by their decision. Further, the food that will be served in the winter school in Fukushima will be Fukushima produce that's sold in the market there. The milk is from Fukushima. Now, the grocers in the area say they are safe because they are sold in the market. In other words, permission to sell is the same, is interpreted as being the same as the food stuff itself is safe. And um, the children are captive consumers, uh, and uh, they are going to be eating contaminated food and skiing in Fukushima when uh, listeners to this program know that um, radiation that has been released from Fukushima that is up in the jet stream comes back to Earth in the form of rain, and as the rain passes through colder climates, it turns into snow. So the precipitation carries the particulate matter that has the radiation, and that's what the kids are going to be playing in. Another try. Louise, are you there? If you are muted, please hit star six to unmute yourself. We've been so excited to do this, and we even spoke on the hookup of the program right before. I have no idea where you are. Uh, I know wherever it is, you must be tremendously frustrated by this. So moving on, we have some activist reports this week. In Japan first that thousands of demonstrators hit the streets of Yokohama, Japan on Saturday, January 14th, calling for an end to nuclear energy in Japan. Uh, the, these people marched on the port city, Yokohama, southwest of Tokyo, chanting in chorus, we don't need nuclear power. Give back our hometown. Protect our children. The protest began a two-day conference committed to fostering global momentum against nuclear power. Uh, then on Sunday, the conference itself called for full support for the victims of Fukushima. They called for full transparency by the Japanese government and the plant operator, Tokyo Electric Power Company, when dealing with the accident and helping victims. The Yokohama Declaration, as it is being called, was presented by more than 10,000 participants from 30 countries, 
It was adopted on the second and last day of the event in Yokohama, which was organized by the non by non governmental organizations such as Peace Boat. Moving on to India, uh, the publication of a book is uh, has become the basis for a seminar on nuclear energy. First, the background. The government of India is attempting to set up a string of nuclear plants across the country with both imported and indigenous reactors, and they've also started several uranium mines. People everywhere from, and I apologize for my pronunciations ahead of time, people from Kudankulam, Jaitapur, Mithavirdi, Gorakhpur to Jadugoda and Goji are fighting these projects. I presume that means all over the country. This is, now, the book that is being published is by Niraj Jain, and it's called Nuclear Energy, Technology from Hell. I think that's one of the best titles and especially subtitles that I have heard because it says it. The book release is being organized for this Saturday, January 21st, 2012. And on this occasion, Lokayat, which is a social activist group located in Pune, India, has organized a seminar on nuclear energy. You can go to the Lokayat uh, website. You can search that on Google. And uh, if you are in India, it sounds like a great opportunity to get together with other activists and plan your national actions. Remember, with March 11th coming up, we are all around the country being asked for activist stances and activist actions. And I'll talk a little bit more about how we might be able to put some of those together. Meanwhile, another book to bring to your attention is called Ground Zero. Um, It's by photographer and author Carol Gallagher. And among other things, it states that between 1951 and 1963, while Americans dug fallout shelters in their backyards uh, in terror of atomic attacks from Russia that never came, U.S. nuclear tests were loading our own atmosphere with enough stray radiation to haunt downwinders for generations. Uh, This is what's covered in her dramatic new book, Ground Zero. Uh, She interviewed many of the people who lived downwind of those uh, nuclear tests that took place in the 50s and 60s. It makes for compelling reading. Around the world, this is an interesting thing to participate in. Around the world, people are being asked to form human chains against chain reactions in their communities as they educate themselves about the dangers of nuclear power and the opportunities to shift to clean, safe, sustainable energy from sun, wind, tides, and geothermal energy. You are asked to put together an event and then share it on the human chain calendar, which can be accessed by going to www.abolition2000.org. That will be posted on the Nuclear Hot Seat website. For those of us here in the United States, and if you are listening live tonight, January 17th, Frontline on PBS is going to have a, a documentary called Nuclear Aftershocks. This gives the timeline and the events of Fukushima, and then it talks about the issues for nuclear energy and what it's going to take to switch over to genuinely clean, green, renewable energy sources. Um, 
If you miss the program live, it will be available shortly by going to the Frontline PBS site. Uh, go to PBS, or you can just search directly for Frontline. It will take you to the site, and then you can watch that as a download. Checking once more. Louise, are you there? Apparently not. I have no idea what took place. My apologies for us not having the interview this week, but we will set it up for the future. Uh, our holistic information this week. Um, I always like to include holistic healing so we can start taking the power ourselves in maintaining our health in the face of the onslaught, the radiation and other pollutions that we are dealing with. And let's talk this week about how to remove radioactive iodine-131 from drinking water. We all have to drink water, and we want it to be as pure as we possibly can. Now, the EPA recommends reverse osmosis water treatment for most kinds of radioactive particles. Uh, it considers reverse osmosis the best available technology, um, which is called a BAT, B-A-T, for removing uranium, radium, gross alpha and beta particles, and photon emitters, and it can remove up to 99% of these radionuclides, as well as other contaminants, such as arsenic nitrate and microbial contaminants. So reverse osmosis is good, but it does not remove gaseous contaminants. And iodine-131 escapes from damaged nuclear plants as a gas. It is captured as a gas in atmospheric water and falls to the earth in rain and enters the water supply. So the next question regards carbon removal, activated carbon removal of iodine-131. Does it work? And there is some evidence that it does. Scientists have used activated carbon to remove iodine-131 from the liquid fuel for nuclear solution reactors. It works by absorbing contaminants and fixing them as water passes through it. In addition, the EPA also recommends ion exchange for removing radioactive compounds from drinking water. It's particularly recommended for removing cesium-137, but it does work on iodine as well. So, if you really want to safeguard your water supply, the best solution is the one that is routinely used to treat water at the Savannah River site, which is incredibly polluted, and that is a combination of activated carbon, reverse osmosis, and ion exchange. If one doesn't get the iodine-131, the other two have a chance to capture the radiation through other means. But whatever you do, it is a good idea to implement whatever system or systems you are capable of using uh, on your home system in order to get rid of any radiation that might be there. Whether it's in now or not, um, the way we are going, it is inevitable that it will be in in the future. So take your precautions now. The last thing you want is to be ingesting radiation in any form whatsoever. So one more chance, I will give it a try. Louise, are you on the line? I have no idea what happened, uh, but we will reschedule this interview. Or um, if it's possible, I will do it privately with her and just splice it into the program so you won't even know. A reminder that the California Initiative to put a uh, on the ballot for November 2012 um, an initiative to shut down the nuclear reactors at San Onofre and Diablo Canyon uh, is still collecting signatures. You can get full information by going to 
sanonofresafety.org. In addition, if you want to do an easy, easy, easy um, action, especially around uh, March 11th, that can start to raise people's consciousness about the nuclear issue, you can book the China Syndrome. Uh, the full information on how to do this is available at nuclearhotseat.com. There is usually a charge for it, but this is only for the United States, but libraries and schools, uh, not colleges, but, uh, but K through 12, often have a license that allow them to show copyrighted videotapes on DVD, I should call them DVDs, um, for no charge. In other words, they buy a license and then they can do it any movies that they want to. Libraries quite often will have this permission as well. In less than an hour this past Saturday, I walked into two of my local libraries said, would you be interested in doing this? And their answer was yes. So by using China Syndrome as a hook, I am also going to be booked in to do a 30-minute talk, 20 minutes of information, 10 minutes of Q&A afterwards. It's an easy way for you to do this, and if you do it through a library, through a school that has a license, there is absolutely no cost. So it just takes a little bit of time, as again, full information is available on nuclearhotseat.com. Louise? so disappointed. We talked right before I went to record. So hopefully we will be able to uh, get her on the line. Um, if you are on, okay, I just got an email. If you're on the call and waiting with Ace, uh, Louise, would you please hit star six to unmute yourself because I cannot hear you. Are you there? I don't know what the technological problem is that is keeping uh, keeping you off the line because this was just two minutes ago that you emailed to me. Let me try it one more time. Trying it one time, one more email. I'll give this a few more minutes. I want to remind you that um, if you are looking, again, for some consciousness-raising information to share with others, there is a truly phenomenal movie that was made, it, not a movie, uh, it's short, it's a short film. It's called A is for Adam, and it gives a history of how we got into this nuclear mess, and it goes just up to Chernobyl. I believe it was made shortly after Chernobyl actually happened. But what it does a great job of doing is giving the history of how we got into this nuclear mess, the various um, justifications that were done to get us through there, um, through to this point. And um, if indeed there, uh, you would like to get this information, the movie is A is for Adam. You can just Google it and search, what did we ever do before Google, and get that information. I was particularly struck by the section on Three Mile Island because it played an audio from a dictaphone that was accidentally left on and it recorded the people in the control room actually making the decision not to evacuate people on the first day. Um, having been at Three Mile Island, that was a moment that changed my life, being made by people who had no idea who I was or where I was, but uh, deeply impactful. So that information is there. And I've not heard back from Louise, so I'm just going to go into the close. And here's the final thought, which uh, comes from Mary Olson 
of uh, NIRS, Nuclear Information Resource Service. She offered this uh, in an email that went around, but I was really struck by this thought of what we're facing in terms of the impact on our health. Uh, this has to do with uh, pregnancy and um, women's ability to bear a healthy child to full term. She writes, in addition to the gestation period now, we also have to wait until the eggs that are formed now and over the next few years become fertile and fertilized and grow into children. Eggs formed while the female is in utero mean... Uh, what this means is that the eggs are formed while the female child is in gestation in the mother's womb. So in other words, the grandchildren are being formed when the mother is still growing inside the mother. So that means that the future grandchild is inside the grandmother's body and is being formed. Because of that, if, and this is going back to Mary's wording now. If there are a bunch of healthy Japanese babies now, it does not mean that there will not be a cancer or an other epidemic coming within another two birth cycles, which I think does at least correlate to the outburst of cancer in the USA about two birth cycles after we started this mess. So one last call, Louise. Okay, we're going to do this this interview separately. I will splice it in, and uh, we will have it. So this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, January 17, 2012, day 316, 316 since the Fukushima tragedy began. Three nuclear reactors, not counting the spent fuel pool at Reactor 4, have been leaking radiation, giving it off. So three nuclear reactors times 316 days is 937 nuclear leak days. This is what we've been exposed to. Now, regarding Nuclear Hot Seat, you can find us and links to previous programs by going to the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page or NuclearHotSeat.com. We are up on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free so, uh, so you never need miss a single podcast. If you've got a lead to a story or information to share, join with our growing army of on-the-ground reporters around the world. Send me a message on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat page, and I will get back to you. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep. Take care, be safe, and I will speak with you again next week.